Ever wonder what motivates people to get plastic surgery? Do they regret it? What can we learn from the weird and wild things that happens at our plastic surgery clinic? We're going to tell some stories, get some laughs, and learn on... Clinic Talk with Sabrina Sajan. On the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. I'm Dr. Javad Sajin, and of course, I'm here with my lovely wife and CEO of Allure Aesthetics, Sabrina Sajin. Welcome back, and thanks for listening, and please rate us and view us on Apple Podcasts for more great stories. On Clinic Talk, we tell real stories of fun, strange, hopeful, and educational things that happen at our clinic from day to day. We get a lot of weird and hilarious things happening at the clinics. You can find all the info at AlluraAesthetic.com if you want more info. So Sabrina, what clinic happenings are we talking about today? So we have some exciting things um, that we're going to be talking about today, um, starting with the first thing, which is Code Brown. Then we're going to go on about gender assigned at birth. And then the third most exciting topic for the day is crushes. Ooh, um, I don't know if I want to be here for that third topic. (laughs) Alex, you better get me out or protect me, man. So, Sabrina, what what was the first thing you said? Code Brown. Um, So let's start off with this. You know, this happened a a week or so ago um, where we're about to get up and I get my phone's going off and it's, you know, ringing. And I'm like, oh, goodness, what just happened? We were sleeping, right? Yeah. And I was like, oh, someone's texting me. And I, I, you know, I push you and I was like, get up, get up. There's something going on. What's Code Brown? Like, I've never heard about this. Is this like a secret, like... something that I don't know. So the nurse texted you and said, we have a code brown in the the pre-op marking room, right? Yes. And I'm all confused. Like something really happened. Patient's not maybe not feeling well, or there's an emergency. I I was like, what is this? I've never heard about this. So Sabrina shakes me, literally (laughs) wakes me up and saying, what's the code brown? And I'm like, just relax. It just means the patient pooped in the chair. Sometimes that can happen. People get nervous, right? And people don't know this, but poop? even it, poop. Okay, okay. Yeah, like poop, you know? <laughs> so um, when people get nervous and anxious, when we're marking them sometimes, they can, they can have these visceral or innate reactions. Well, they'll poop, which is a code brown. Sometimes they can pee. It's called a code yellow. Yeah. And, um, you know, it happens and we clean it up, obviously, and move on. But what people don't know is a lot of the times, not every time when people are in surgery, or we're do, let's say we're doing a lipo case or tummy tuck or something, sometimes they have a code brown. While they're asleep. While they're asleep, while we're doing the surgery. And the way we'll usually know is we'll hear the flatulence. Or, do you know what flatulence means? No. Flatulence is a fancy word for saying farting. Oh. Yep. So we'll hear the flatulence. Or do you guys start smelling stuff? Yeah. So that's the number of second way we know. Second way we know it. We'll actually smell um, poop. And then um, obviously, you know, we respect the patient. Mm -hmm. We're dignified. And then the um, newest nurse has the uh, pleasure of cleaning everything up and doing all of that. So the most junior person on the totem pole. Oh, man. The newbie. Yes. Yes. And it's because you don't become a real healthcare provider and all of us have done it. I've done it until you wiped a butt. So you got to scoop the poop. Yeah, that's it. how you learn. So um, that's a code brown. And that's called real patient care. Absolutely. And 
a lot of places, especially where I trained, right, where, where things like that happened, and we're talking about it after the fact now, but they like, you know, they make fun of the patient, they joke about it. We never do that. From the beginning, I always believed when you serve a patient and when they're on the table, you treat them the same way you treat your mom, dad, brother, or sister, or wife. And so obviously when that happens, you know, it, it, we know, we, we make sure it's not contaminating the sterile field, right? Mm -hmm. And then we do what we have to do and we get it cleaned up nicely with proper wipes and all that, and then we continue the course. Okay. So that's really important. I know where I did my training, uh, it wasn't like that at all. I'm not going to name anybody, but I remember when people were asleep, Sabrina, the doctors would often say bad things about the patient. Sometimes, you know, I never did this or participated in it, especially during a BBL. You know, I'm not going to say any names, but I remember this one person used to slap the barak. Mm. I mean, I don't know how anybody could ever do that and call themselves somebody who's altruistic and caring. It's, it's out of my thought process. I just could never imagine. And I remember when I when this person did this, right? This person thought it was funny and relished the fact. And when this person left the war, all the staff would say, would be bad things about him. Like, how does he do that? That's so disgusting. But while he's doing it, because this person was the boss, everyone's like, oh, wow, it's so cool. Yeah, he made it really big. But what you do behind closed doors, I think, is a bigger definition of who you are, obviously, than what you do in front of people. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that? Definitely. I think it's important. And, um, you know, as being that person or boss person in, in the room, in the surgical um, room, it's really important because you are a role model. Um, you want to make sure the nurses, the techs and whoever else are there with you, um, you know, kind of follow, um, you know, the way you treat the patients and, you know, goes down the line. So it's really important that we set that standard for everyone from top down. Exactly. And and, you know, there's this one um, saying that's such a cliche, but it's so true. And that's like, you know, power corrupts. And when you're in charge, you obviously get away with a lot more and people know they have to follow you. Um, but that doesn't give you the right to take away people's dignity. And I think when people make fun of others while they're in surgery or while they can't hear it, even if someone, you know, like in our office, we're not allowed to use the C word. Crazy. It's not allowed. Anytime someone says that, we'll write them up. Because how you talk about someone behind their back or when they can't hear is a level of disrespect, lack of humanity, and it takes away a lot from the practice and the culture comes from the top down, right? Mm -hmm. So dignity is so important, something I really focus on. Yep. So that's our first topic, code brown, code yellow. Everybody knows what that is. What's our second topic, Sabrina? Yes. So um, the next topic uh, we're going to talk about is um, I remember you had a patient that was not honest about their gender assigned at birth. Can you tell us a little bit about that experience? So I'm doing a consultation for a patient and on their intake form, they, um, we ask, you know, what's your gender assigned at birth and what's your gender identity? Because they're two different things. Mm -hmm. So before this, you know, our forms a year, a couple of years ago, we used to ask genetic gender. And then one of the patients got really offended, Sabrina, I remember that. Mm -hmm. And so we changed it to gender assigned at birth because when we used to write genetic gender, people felt that wasn't right because the genes might not be descriptive of what they identify with. And it, you know, it's something that is very binary and many people believe gender is fluid, it's a non-binary thing. So we changed it to gender assigned at birth and this person put both on their intake form Mm -hmm. But gender identity, they put female. Okay. 
So then I'm doing the consult and I'm, I need to, uh, the patient's there for a consultation for body surgery. I'm not going to say what kind of body surgery. And the person identifies as cis, right? So there's cis often and then transgender is another word to, you know, to describe someone's self. And the per, I asked the person, what was your gender assigned at birth? Because I didn't know what it was because they wrote both. And the reason I want to know this is if you're looking for body surgery, I have to create, sculpt, and make a body that fits the physique you want. Mm -hmm. And even though she identifies her gender identity as female, if I don't know what she was assigned at birth, I can't really understand the anatomical changes I'll be going after. And the reason for that is because the fatty deposits in the body are oftentimes linked to your gender assigned at birth. So when I know if your gender was male, I'll have a better understanding of how much I can bring the waist in or not, mm -hmm. how much fat I can put in the breast. When I'm doing a tummy tuck, I can understand what do I have to do to lift the, the pubic area? What kind of dissection will I need? What kind of diastasis am I dealing with? All of these things are running through my mind when I'm doing the consult and counseling the patient on what I can achieve. So that's why I asked that. So this person put both. And they put gender identity as female. So I asked them, and, and 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 their medical history was completely clear. But they just put they had some uh, they had uh, vaginal surgery, but nothing, no more details. I think they put vaginal rejuvenation. Correct. Mm -hmm. You're right. So um, then during the consult, I asked them, "Oh, what's your gender assigned at birth?" And I, again, we stopped asking genetic gender because people got offended because they were assigned that gender. You know, they didn't they didn't choose it. And, gen and genetic gender is not a good word. I can understand that. So they say, and she, so she told me, oh, I'm female. And then um, I was assigned female at birth. And then she said her identity is female. And then um, in the surgical history, like you said, there was vaginal rejuvenation. So I asked, can you please tell me what this is? Because vaginal rejuvenation is often something called labiaplasty. Many women get this after kids because the labia can sag and stick out, especially when people are wearing bathing suits and underwear. And it doesn't, some women feel it doesn't look nice. And some women even say it can look like a penis. Mm. So many women or some women will get their labias trimmed, tight and shrink, different ways of doing it. I don't do that, but there's ways of doing that. So it's not an uncommon procedure, but this person wrote this and they had no history of pregnancy. Mm. Typically, not always, women who get labiaplasty or vaginal rejuvenation have had pregnancy, which causes a sagging. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. All right. So then I'm like, okay, tell me about this. And she said, oh, no, it wasn't rejuvenation. I had um, vaginal reconstruction. And then I'm like, okay. And I asked her, can you please tell me more? And she's like, no. I had a traumatic thing that happened to me. And I don't want to say anything more. It was very traumatic and I had to have some kind of reconstruction. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm sensitive to that. And then I ask her again, can you please tell me what gender you're at? your gender was assigned at birth? And I even asked genetic gender because at this point I'm like, okay, maybe I'm missing something. Dots aren't adding up. Mm -hmm. And she still says female. I'm like, okay, it's the most I can do. Clean medical history. Um, we proceed on. We do the consultation. Um, we give the quote. And then um, she signs up for surgery, mm -hmm. right? So day of surgery before our anesthesia provider calls all the patients and he saw the same thing on the intake. So, you know, Patrick is a, is a very excellent, he's the best anesthesia provider I feel in the state, probably in the world. Amazing. He only does my cases exclusively. He's like, um, he's like, doctor, 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 with his hands up in the air, all excited. You know, his face red, ears red. He comes running to me. His ears become red very easily when he gets excited. He's like, um, well, um, what's this patient's genetic uh, gender, you know, or gender assigned at birth? 
and I give him the spiel. And then, um, so he does the phone call. He doesn't get any more information than I do. And the reason we're asking about this is because um, during the surgery, mm -hmm. for this body surgery, we put a Foley catheter in. And if someone has had what's called a vaginoplasty or creation of a vagina, we always talk to the doctor who did that surgery to understand where we put the catheter. Because when they take a penis and make it into a vagina, they have to edit and change the urethra. And they have to fold things in and that patient needs dilation. And there's all these things that can happen. There's granulation tissue, there's bleeding. So it's a, it's a totally different um, uh, anatomical boundaries, you know. And putting in a Foley in that person can be very risky, it can be dangerous, and it can be, you know, it can cause trauma and damage to their existing situation. The other thing is when someone's had a vagina created, they often have to dilate every day, otherwise it closes up. So we want to know what's going on, right? So um, Patrick pursues it more. And he's like, tell me about the vaginal reconstruction because I can't proceed with surgery unless I know exactly what happened. So then she finally tells Patrick, well, I just had worked on the outside of my vagina. Everything on the inside is normal. You don't have to worry about anything. Uh, and Patrick's like, okay. Um, tell me more, because you know Patrick is—he's like a detective. Yeah, he will he, not stop. He will not stop. He will keep going and going and going until he is satisfied or he feels that's that, that the patient is safe for surgery. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And so um, she's like, "Oh, I only had worked on the outside of my labia. Um, that's it. They were too big." So we're like, "Okay, well, we'll, we'll go with that. That's, that shouldn't impact the catheter placement because the labia are on the outside." So we're like, "Okay, we'll go forward." And she doesn't want to tell us the name of the doctor. She said it was many years ago. The doctor's not not in not in town and not available, so we get this whole story. So we're like, okay, we tell her we're putting the catheter in, we get permission, we do all this. So day of surgery arrives, Patrick clears for surgery, and you know they put her to sleep, and then they're putting the Foley in. And then the nurse who puts the Foley in, um, yeah, in the procedure of putting the Foley in, you have to uh, gently open the vagina and then place the catheter in, and when she tries to do that, the anatomy is completely altered. Completely altered, and we're doing a a larger case that's a few hours long. So we need a catheter placement for this operation. And since we do a lot of gender affirming surgeries, we're comfortable and used to working on people who've had a vagina created. So the nurse is uncomfortable doing it. She doesn't know the anatomy. So then we call Patrick, you know, he comes in because he's done a lot of these. And Patrick looks and it looks like a neo-vagina or a vagina that's been created surgically because we know those incisions, we see them often. And then they, um, uh, Patrick sees the pathway for the Foley catheter. He calls me, he's like, doctor, we have a situation here. Patient's asleep, already had anesthesia. We have consent to do the surgery and the Foley. Um, I can place it safely. Are you comfortable if you proceed or do you want to cancel? So at this point, I'm in this situation, right, where I have a patient who's having uh, significant um, aesthetic, you know, surgery, which now I know is more gender affirming surgery, right? Mm -hmm. My surgical plan doesn't change. But what do I do about this Foley situation? Do I abort when I know we can place the Foley and proceed? And this person's planned their entire life around this day? Or do we keep going? What do you think? Yeah, it's, it's a really difficult decision. You know, it's, um, it, it's a plan that the team had in place. And then you know, they had to adjust and readjust uh, based on what they saw at the, you know, when they were putting, you know, after they put the patient to sleep, because at the time you can't even ask the patient anything. Mm -mm. So it's, you know, it's the, um, you know, doctor's kind of decision to kind of let the team know what he'd like to do. Yeah, exactly. And oftentimes we'll go to the caregiver if we have to make an on-the-spot decision, but this person's caregiver was a 
medical service they had hired for the care. Mm. So we didn't have like a, um, a first, you know, like a next person in line type of thing to ask. So, um, and the other thing, you know, when you think about this, this person's been waited six months to get on the table, to get on the surgical schedule with me and all these things that have to happen for them. And so in this situation, I'm really thinking hard, what's the best thing to do for this patient? Mm. Do I abort the surgery and not do anything and then wake them up and they're probably going to tell me the same thing again, mm -hmm. which is, you know, this is what I had. And do I put them through that stress and discomfort? And obviously they have some level of dysphoria and psychological trauma. That's why they were hiding it. Mm -hmm. I feel, you know, usually when people don't talk about something like that, they've gone through a lot. And I felt that the story she gave us, because I asked her multiple times and so did Patrick, she made herself believe it. And for her, that was true. Although it, it might not have been the factual statement, but in her mind, it is what has happened. And that's how she is where she is today. Mm -hmm. So I thought about it really hard. And I said, Patrick, if you feel you can safely place the Foley without any injury, let's proceed. We have consent. Um, I feel if we abort, there's nothing we're going to do differently. Mm -hmm. Now, if we would have aborted and I could do something differently, then I would have considered it more. So we decided to proceed. Um, Patrick placed the Foley. Um, it was, as we expected, challenging, but nothing extraordinary. A Foley catheter, people often don't know what that is. So when you're doing a longer surgery, we like to measure the urine output. So the Foley catheter, it looks like a long, elongated, um, slender um, balloon, like a, a piece of latex or, or non-latex-based that you feed through the opening of the urethra or the penis all the way into the bladder, and then the end inflates. Then you inflate the end and it sits in there. So um, so if people who do it wrong, they can inflate it during the passageway and rip the passageway. Oh, yes. You follow me? Mm -hmm. So the, it's, it's like a balloon, so it can't come out. So basically, um, Patrick places it, no issues. We do the surgery. Surgery was a wild success. And um, catheter went in and out, no issues. Patient's doing amazing, amazing. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the one thing from this is I, I always ask patients, whatever it is that you're doing or not doing, tell us the truth. Yep. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, this is about your safety and your life. Mm -hmm. And the more we know, the better we can do for you. The less we know, the less decisions we're going to make for you. Yeah, I think it's really important that patients understand that, that, you know, um, we're asking these questions because we want to provide the best care. Um, and we appreciate all the honesty that they give us. And it, it becomes very challenging when we find things out after the fact or when patients are already asleep because it's really hard for us to make that decision um, without the patient, you know, kind of asking them what they'd like to do. But um, it's it's just best if they just be truthful um, day one. Now, I know we started a policy recently now where we're having everyone give us their ID that we scan into the electronic medical record. Why did we start that? Um, we, we started that because we had um, an instance where a patient came in for a consultation. You know, our consultation paperwork does say legal name, and then it says preferred name. Um, you know, we're very respectful for people's preferred names, and we, you know, uh, we call them by their preferred name. But um, since we're going to be doing surgery on a patient, we have to know their legal name. Um, because they're going to a surgical process and, you know, um, we, have, we just need to know based because of the consent that they have to sign. 
Um, so the patient wrote, you know, the same name um, on the legal uh, name line and the same name on the preferred name line. Um, and then, you know, we're going about patient signs up for surgery and, um, you know, patient comes to surgery day with their caregiver, um, which is one of their best friends. And, um, that's been their best friend for like since childhood. And, you know, the pa when the patient gets into the room and the nurse is checking the patient in, um, the nurse of course asks, um, could you please, um, you know, tell me your legal name and your date of birth. Um, that's how she would start off. And when the patient says that. Um, the caregiver says, that's not your name. What? And the nurse just looks at the caregiver and the patient, you know, takes a double take. And then the patient says, no, that is my name. My name is, you know, so-and-so. And the now there's like this altercation happening between the caregiver and the patient. And the, the nurse is in the middle. And the nurse is in the middle. Nurse is like, I just need to know the legal name of the patient in order to proceed. And the patient says the same name again. And the caregiver says, that's not your name. He said, that was not your name when we were in elementary school. And they're going back and forth. And the, you know, the nurse says, um, you know, I'll be back in just a few minutes. Um, you guys, you know, I, would, I don't want to be in the middle of this. Um, take a few minutes to talk it out and I'll be right back. And the nurse comes to me and, you know, and um, I think it was Patrick that was actually the CRNA. <laughs> <laughs> comes to me, Patrick and, you know, doctor and saying, She's like, I don't know what the patient's legal name is. And I said, well, what do you mean? It's, it's on the paperwork. It's, you know, everywhere. And of course, at that time, we were not collecting IDs, you know, so we were kind of going based on what the patient was saying. And, you know, we were kind of trusting the patients. Um, and, you know, the chart has been made for the patient. The consents have been signed. It's like 30 to 40 pages in a, in a one hour process with the pre-op appointment. Correct. So the one hour pre-op appointment is completed. The 40 pages of documents have been signed with this name on there. And now there's this confusion. What's the patient's name? So then doc, I remember, I think you ended up going into the room. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, I was like, hi, nice to see you. I'm going to do great surgery for you, but I need to know your real name and I'm going to ask for your ID right now. Because what happens is I want to do the best I can for this patient. What And what's happening is there's other patients who are having surgeries. That day we do more than one. The whole day is getting delayed, which um, puts stress on the patients who are waiting, right? Because mm -hmm. they've been waiting for this for months, if not years, and all this the whole process. Um, so then we got, got the ID and we and we changed all the paperwork, yes. right? The whole day was delayed, like two hours. Yeah, so we had we ended up getting the ID from the patient. And of course, what the caregiver was saying was true. The patient was being dishonest with the nurse and our staff. Um, and we had to redo the entire pre-op packet, do make the entire surgical chart again. And um, it was a two-hour process that we basically had to redo because the patient was being dishonest. And, and sometimes the patient's waiting, get you know a little bit mad and upset. And I, I, I totally understand that. I can share with everybody who's listening today that nobody wants to be late. And usually when we're running a little bit late in surgery day, it's because there's a legitimate reason. Mm -hmm. And um, we try not to do it. It happens. Sometimes the operation's complicated, like today's. Um, the Friday's was a little bit more complicated. I'll talk about that next clinic talk. But um, you just have to be careful and be honest, and it's not an issue. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think the main, main important thing is patients just need to be honest. Um, and the reasons we ask these questions and the reason we need to know honesty is because so we can provide the best care. And I think, um, you know, it, I, I feel bad for the patients that are after um, because, you know, sometimes they get delayed or we'll give them a call and tell them, you know, we're running a little behind. Please don't come until so-and-so time. And patients often will um, 
not reply with nice words towards us. The um, sometimes those little things, you know, I can understand it was frustrating, but there's always a story. And the longer our practice is around, the more rules we have. And I can share with everybody, every rule has a story. Yes. And if you really want to know, just ask me and I'll tell you the story because odds are I probably remember it. <laughs> now, the next thing we're going to talk about, our final topic today is crushes. Right, Sabrina? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I can only imagine some of the some of the challenges that you have and, you know, working uh, with me. And it's such a privilege and it's such a pleasure to work together. A lot of people can't make husband and wife things work. And we make it work because we both have a passion for the people we serve. Number one, obviously, it's so important. And certainly number one with that is, you know, we love each other. And we work through all the little things that come up. Now, do we have little scuffles like everybody? Absolutely, right? Mm -hmm. But they're very small and minor. And at the end of the day, I think what really helps us get through things is understanding one important concept. And that concept is no matter what little scuffles, I like that word, it's made up word, I just made it up happens is at the end of the day, we are together and we're going to make it work. Yep. You have to remember that, right? Okay. And in that, we, we have a practice and we employ a lot of diversity, but a lot of the staff through happenstance are women. And Sabrina, how is that? Tell me. Um, it can be challenging um, at times. Um, you know, uh, let me talk. Let me talk about one example, and then I'll give a few more after that. All right, be gentle because uh, people are listening. I'll try to be as discreet as possible. Um, um, it, it, I think sometimes people forget um, that doctor is married, um, and you know, I, I understand he's a handsome-looking man, uh, <laughs> which is what, why I make him wear his ring all the time. <laughs> you would, oh, I saw this meme. With somebody wearing blue gloves, like a medical worker, and he had his ring on top of his glove. And the and the meme said, I'm more scared of my wife than Corona. <laughs> <laughs> Not surprised. Um, but a lot of times, uh, I think um, staff or, um, you know, other individuals that have worked with us um, sometimes will forget that. Um, and they don't realize the boundary that they have or, you know, maybe they forget that you're married or they forget that you um, are their, you know, basically their boss um, or the surgeon here. And, you know, they'll try to be discreet as possible. But, you know, I I, <laughs> um, I can see through everything. And sometimes they'll, you know, try to, um, you know, say stuff um, that I can understand how it could be a little bit too nice. Um, have you have you felt that? No, I, I, I never felt that. But I, I, I can see what you're saying, you know, um, sort of. <laughs> so they'll say some, you know, sweet things or um, things that may come off as the employer, whoever is being a little too nice or has a little crush on you. Um, and then, you know, I, I'll have my hawk eyes on them um, and I'll watch them and, um you know, I'll sometimes see them kind of bump into you or maybe they're walking by. They're like, oh, sorry, doctor. Sorry. And I'm like, they do that on purpose. <laughs> it doesn't happen often. It's very rare. Uh, you see it rarely. I don't see yeah, I don't. I don't see it. I only see you. Um, so now um, we had to get a cutout made because things were getting a little bit out of hand, right? Yes. What's um, the cutout first? We, we, you know, we also have patients that are, you know, super excited when they come in for the consultations and um, they're excited to come see you and 
there have been many times where patients have asked for pictures um, with doctor. This is pre-corona. Um, thank God for corona. Um, <laughs> you gotta explain that. Yes. What do you mean by that? Basically, yeah, um, d- disclaimer: we don't support we don't we don't support the virus. Nobody wants the virus. Sabrina's gonna circle that. <laughs> Um, but basically, um, patients would come in and they would, you know, ask for pictures and, um, you know, it's, and, you know, of course we have to be nice and, you know, we, we love our patients and, you know, sometimes they'll come and get pictures and, um, they'll try to get inside the doctor's arms and they'll wrap their arm behind his waist, um, and get a little too close where their bodily parts are touching my husband. Um, and that makes me very uncomfortable. So... To eliminate that, we got this life-size cutout made of Dr. Sajan um, that patients can stand next to and take pictures of, and they don't have to take it next to you. Yeah, we got and that. And they can hug the cutout as much as they want. Yes, yes. So <laughs> we, we have a life-size cutout in Seattle. It's my Bitmoji. It looks very much like me. Yes. Um, doesn't have as much white hair, though. <laughs> uh, and so we got that. And I, and I totally respect that. You know, I understand where you're coming from. I remember... Um, well, uh, Sabrina and I initially we had a long distance a relationship. Yes. And uh, I remember that we used to post the patient pictures on Snapchat. And I re- I really remember this very clearly. There was um, an you know, amazing, nice patient. But, you know, for them, it's an, I understand it was an exciting event. And we took a picture with this patient. Actually, they were transgender. Yeah. Remember? Mm-hmm. Um, and so we put it on our Snapchat. And then within two minutes, my phone was blowing up from Sabrina blowing up what's that picture why is that on your snapchat delete it right now remember <laughs> i don't so, know <laughs> <laughs> so because of that um and i respect that totally with it i can understand that comes across i wouldn't like that at all so if if, it was, if the rules were flipped obviously so um we got i ordered a we hence got, i work with you yes thank you i know i know yep <laughs> now i can talk about my personal possessive issues but um so we got a cutout made and um now everybody can have pictures with the cutout and now with Corona, it's not even an issue, right? Yes. That's what, what did you mean by that? Yes. So basically I meant that because of Corona now and no one can shake doctor's hand. No one can hug the doctor. No one can try to get close. So I, I'm kind of happy about the rules of Corona. Yes. Yes. We are very all social distancing. <laughs> distancing. And then um, going off of all those items, um, um, you know, uh, I, sometimes I feel like people forget um, you know, a lot of their comments and the messages they send um, through Instagram and social media. Um, there's quite a bit of thirsty people out there. It's not, you know, we get some very unique Seattle messages. Seattle is thirsty. A lot of messages that are special. Yes. So um, so that doctor doesn't have to go through these um, special messages. Um, our social media coordinator handle, handles them from now on out. Um, and basically, um, there was an instance, um, that I like to highlight, um, during this segment, um, where, um, an individual, female individual, um, sent VP pictures. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That that was before the social media coordinator, um, a woman person, many, more than one, you know, they would send uh, pictures of anatomy. I remember, um. I had one patient who is a well-known adult entertainer and she um, snapped herself um, performing. And it, then showing her bodily fluids. Correct. And she um, sent those on Snapchat. Yes. And then came the social media coordinator to receive all direct messages. 
Yes. <laughs> so myself nor the doctor appreciate those. Exactly. Um, you know, certainly I love our patients are welcome to send us any messages, but in this, you know, in what we do, we walk a very um tight um we certainly appreciate people's direct messages that are questions, comments, anything related to what we do or how we do it. However, we have to be decent people. We have to respect each other. Mm-hmm. You know, and sometimes, no, no, not sometimes. Every time sending a picture like that, it just, it just crosses a boundary that we don't do. Now, there are some doctors out there, yeah, you know them. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they like that, they respond to it, they want it, definitely not me. Um, I love hearing from our fans and patients and I'm happy to hear from them in a, in a nice manner about whatever they want to relay, but not pictures uh, that are nudity or pornographic or anything like that. It just doesn't have any role here. And, you know, we don't, we don't look at it. We don't stand for it. And you know, those people get blocked. Yeah, definitely. Uh, there's many, many out there that have gotten blocked in the past uh, due to the inappropriate messages or inappropriate pictures that they have sent, for sure. Exactly. And, and I think in our practice, especially because, you know, we do deal with um, people's anatomy, I think we're even more vigilant about this, mm-hmm. that when we see anyone trying to cross a line, and, and thank God it's never happened with our staff, but even if we get the feeling that someone's going to cross the line or thinking about crossing the line, we nip that right away away. Yeah, I remember I, I remember an employee that we had, and I think he made a slight comment, and I, um, you know, we, we terminated that employee on the spot. Yeah, it was a woman, it was a woman uh, employee who commented on how nice uh, a man looked. Mm -hmm. And uh, it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't necessarily evil, but it was said in a very not nice way. Mm -hmm. You know, just like, you know, we don't, we never make comments of women's anatomy, we don't make comments of man's anatomy. And so we're very strict. We have zero tolerance. If anyone even starts walking that uh, path, then they're terminated right away. Yeah. You know, we, we respect all of our patients and we treat them like patients um, and our staff and, you know, our team definitely knows that. And, you know, we'll treat them with all the love um, and all the respect. But um, we want to make sure that we, you know, we have that line and we, we know that we don't cross that. Uh, that was an exciting couple of weeks of uh, things we went through. Thanks for listening to Clinic Talk on the Plastic Surgeon Podcast. It's been fun. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to hear more great content. Tune in next time for more Clinic Talk. We have some exciting stories coming up. Catch our adventures throughout the week on all social media at Real Doctor Seattle. And see you next time. Bye. Bam one.